there are two moments in the day that can absolutely make or break the, the day in the Rody household, in the Rody family. The, the first happens somewhere between 7.45 and 7.55 in the morning. It's a time we're getting ready to head out the door. If the previous two hours or so have gone well, those ten minutes are awesome. It just goes, goes, goes well. Everybody's happy. We're, we're wrestling on the couch. We've got some time right before we, we get in the car and go to school. If not, if those two hours before those 10 minutes do not go well, those 10 minutes are a mad scramble. Voices are raised. There's a good chance backpacks will be thrown together and somebody will end up with somebody else's lunch. And there's also a good chance that at some point later in the afternoon, Haley or one of the kids will find my cup of coffee at some random place in the house in the afternoon. So that's the first moment of the day. The second moment of the day comes between 6 and 6.30 p.m. or so, whenever we're cleaning up after dinner. We've gotten into a, a pretty good routine lately, but it took some time and work to get to the place where, where each of us cleared our own plate, took it to the, the sink, rinsed it off, and, and put it in the dishwasher. How many of you rinse your, your plates just in a really odd aside before you put it in the dishwasher? I read the other day that you're not supposed to do that. You're just supposed to put it right. It's new to me, but sorry. That's a really random aside. But we had to work to get there. We had to work to, to get to that place where we could all work together at the end of the day to, to clean up after dinner. And I've heard myself say the exact same thing that my dad used to say to me. This is something we do. Well, why? Why? We take our dishes from the, the table and place them in the dishwasher because we're all a part of the family. It's just something we do. Whether it's something as common as leaving the house in the morning or, or cleaning up after dinner or something more complicated, a, a group project at school or at work, adopting a vision or a direction as a business or, or in a church, or restoring a city as we see in the book of Nehemiah. Things tend to move much more smoothly when we actually work together, when, when we move forward together. Now, as we continue through through Nehemiah this morning, we're, we're, we're in a chapter that doesn't appear to be all that important, at least in the first glance, at least the first time we look at it. In fact, it's one that a lot of people just skip over because there's a lot of hard names. You'll see it. You'll see me stumble through them in a few minutes. But it is a critical part of the story. The first two chapters that we looked at the last couple of weeks, they, they, they remind us that, that, that Jerusalem was in, in need and, and Nehemiah responds to that need and then he takes the necessary steps to begin the work. The city was in shambles, the walls and entry gates destroyed, and as people moved back after living in exile for a couple generations, they're ready to rebuild. He prays, he asks God to remember his people. And then he goes to his boss, the, the Persian king, and is given permission to lead in this rebuilding effort. And finally, he heads to the city to, to see it for himself. Then, as we see today, he, he begins the work. 
The boundaries of the, the city were much smaller then than they, they are today. I know you, you can't see all the detail of that, but that's, that's okay. It, it would have been, uh, the, the periphery of the city would have been anywhere between two and two and a half miles during the time, and in, uh, during, during the time that Nehemiah rebuilt. In, in chapter two, we're told that he wanders around the walls counterclockwise. And that a similar path is followed as they begin to rebuild. Though it starts in a, in a different place, in a different gate. The first group works right around the temple, on the northernmost part of the wall. The, the second group on the, on the western section. The third on a small but significant portion to the south. And, and, and the fourth along a stretch of the wall that faced to the east, right above the, the Kidron Valley. Altogether, there are 41 different families or groups of people that gather together to restore 42 different sections of the wall. The first part begins with the clergy, and we read that Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zucher, the son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Mermoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Mishalom, son of Berkariah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baanah, also made repairs. The next session was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Tekoa was a city that was about five miles outside of Bethlehem, and, and the nobles were the only people that Nehemiah actually singles out and said they wouldn't help out. They, the only people that wouldn't, wouldn't go to work. It's as if they were, were too good for manual labor, which is something that actually gets them into trouble six generations later during the third Jewish and Roman war. The hard names continue. The Jesenah gate was repaired by Joadiah, son of Pesah, and Mishalom, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Malatiah of Gibeon and Jadon, son of Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, ruled ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumph, that's a fun one, made repairs opposite his house, and Hadish, son of Hasabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hasab, son of Panath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of, half, uh, of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malachaja, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of bet Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Kol Hosea, ruler of the district of Mizpah. 
He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. And then we, we continue to see name after name, beyond him, next to him, beyond him, next to him, for, for 15 more verses. Everyone chipping in, everyone helping out, one family next to another, many of whom were exiles that returned to Jerusalem during the time of Ezra. And then finally, at the end, when we get to verse 31, the last next to him. Next to him, Malkijah. One of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the beginning of the service, I I joked about the returning uh, of fall means the return of pumpkin spice everything. And and for a lot of families, it also means the return of soccer Saturdays. Right, Dave? Soccer Saturdays at at the park. The, The park down the street from our house looks similar to how a lot of parks in our area look on Saturday mornings from now until about Thanksgiving. Kids from 4 to 14 excited to put on a uniform, excited to be on a team, to play a game. If you step back at the field where my kids play, you can see all of the different games taking place. The four-year-olds on the tiny fields, on the tiny fields with coaches following after them, like herding cats, making sure that they're scoring goals on, on the right goal and not the wrong goal. All the way up to the oldest kids trying to win their games, their last games of youth soccer before they begin high school. You can see a a progression of understanding if you go from one field to the next of how soccer or football works. Kids, as they get older, they start to kind of spread out a little bit more. They they learn to pass, to play, play defense, how to actually work as a team. My father-in-law, Haley's dad, always placed a priority on team sports, especially on soccer when she and her siblings were young. He felt that there were a lot of life lessons that could be learned from working with one another to achieve a common goal, even at a young age like four. I think Nehemiah probably could have been a soccer fan. So much of this part of the story has to do with with moving forward together, with working with one another. That's why we we read through all of these names in chapter 3 and we want to gloss over them, but we we can't gloss over them because it's all of these people coming together to accomplish a task. So after he surveys the land, he gathers as many people as he can and he says, come on, come be a part of this team. Now, he highlights in chapter 3 really four different groups. There's the clergy, the goldsmiths, the perfumers, the merchants, which were were the businessmen. These folks, they weren't necessarily construction workers. They they weren't necessarily builders. They they were folks that would have been seen in society as kind of the the middle class or the upper middle class. The the working class at the time, they would have been those mostly uh, had jobs preparing food, farmers. Cooks, bakers, it wouldn't have just been a financial strain for them to step away from their job to rebuild the wall, but they also probably had a role in rebuilding the wall. Someone had to give the workers food, and they had to do it. 
We also see both men and women listed, sons and daughters. Everyone who was willing, everyone who was willing was involved in one capacity or another. It's a model that's echoed in, in Paul's writing to the churches in Corinth and Rome, as we, we read earlier, when he says, don't think too highly of yourselves. We all have a role to play, one body with many members. It was true for Nehemiah, it was true for Paul, the early church, and it is true for us today. Last Wednesday, our our session met over Zoom, as we've been doing for the last uh, 18 or 19 months or so, for our regular monthly meeting. And in all honesty, it was one of the most life-giving meetings I've been a part of here at WPC. I I was here in my office, but everybody else was at home. And at one point, uh, Haley, my wife, she sent a text saying, hey, it's getting late, everything okay? And my response is, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, it's just going long. We had this great conversation about where we are today, about the challenges that we face that we need to be honest with, and about what moving forward looks like, might look like. We're working as a church, as a leadership group, to rebuild, to restore, to reform, to figure out what God is doing in and through our community in a world that is constantly changing. And it's exciting to figure out. It's, it's exciting to, to look at, at the church world and where we fit together, to try to figure it out together. Nehemiah 3 may be difficult to read, but it gives us at least four important lessons about moving forward together as a community. First is the, the simple reminder that, that God works through people. That God works through people. Nehemiah chapter 1, where we're told it's, it's God that stirs his heart. That God is the one who, who, who places that feeling in Nehemiah's heart that I've got to do something as, as his friend shows up. In Nehemiah 2, it's God who opens doors. That God works through the Persian king. That God works through the governors. It's God who is opening doors. And when the wall is finished, as we'll see in in chapter 6, Nehemiah says that the work was done by God. It's not as though God snapped his fingers and all of a sudden everything was done and the wall was, was complete. Humankind got to be a part of the process. Co creators in, in giving a glimpse of what God can do. It's a truth that we read about over and over again in the Bible, which is a part of the reason that we, we emphasize mission and service here at WPC. So we look for places where there, there's a need and do our best to be in those places. As God stirs in our own hearts, we say, okay, what are the needs? How do we get involved? Where do we need to be? So we do things like, like hygiene kit drive throughs we do things like outreach into the community, uh, in, the, in the homeless community. It's why we work with youth. It's why we go on mission trips. It's why we do all that we do. To be a part of what God is doing in and through this place. And my hope for us as a church is that we'd all find a place to, to do that. To serve in some capacity. To be co-creators of giving those glimpses of God's kingdom to other people. 
The second reminder about working together from, from this chapter is that leaders delegate. And remember, as I said last week, we all lead in some capacity. Whether it's here at church or, or whether it's, it's in, in your home, whether it's at work, we all, we all lead in some capacity. There is no way that Nehemiah could have built the wall by himself. Absolutely no way that he could have built it by himself. He had to take this, this big goal and distill it into small, measurable, and achievable projects. 42 different projects. But at the same time, he couldn't just sit back and say, ah, you, you all do it. I'm sitting here and doing nothing. He, he also had to participate. He also had to do something. There's the stark contrast between the nobles of, of Tekoa who wouldn't engage and Elishab and, and the high priests who, who Nehemiah mentions at the beginning of the chapter. Leaders delegate, yes, but they're also willing to do what needs to be done to get the job done. It's a servant leader who is just as comfortable getting their, their hands dirty as they are organizing and making difficult decisions. This, this sort of leadership reminds me of my friend Vasco, who, who some of you met when he was here a few years back when he, he preached at my installation here. It was humbling to be in Malawi and to watch him lead. I, I've talked about this a little bit before. One day he, he'd be organizing with, with community leaders, with, with politicians, with, with village elders, with pastors in his synod. He would be gathering with them and, and moving them forward. And the next day he would be at a school for the blind down with children both organizing and delegating and being in the work. He was the same person in both places. And he knew when to put on one hat or the other. Lastly, this, this part of Nehemiah reminds us to find meaning in our role. To find meaning in our piece of the wall. Years ago, while I was in seminary, I, I coached high school football. I know there's a lot of sports stories today. I apologize for those of you who don't like sports. Um, I, I coached high school football for five years, and one of my favorite weeks of the year was in spring ball when the eighth graders would come down from the, the middle school to, to the high school campus for their, their first week of high school football. They were all so excited to be there. And there'd be 20 or 30 or 40 kids that would come down, and guess what position... 15 of them wanted to play. Quarterback. They all wanted to be quarterback. And how many quarterbacks were there in that 15 to 20? Maybe one. Maybe. And by the time they were seniors and by the time they, they graduated, they learned what it looks like to, to work on a team. That really, the, the quarterback only works if the center can snap the ball to him, and it really only works if the quarterback can get the ball to the wide receiver, but that won't work if the wide receiver doesn't catch it, which won't work if the coach doesn't drop the play. They, they learned to be a part of a team. The story of Nehemiah would look completely different if those 41 families argued over which part of the wall was theirs. Sure, Maybe the wall still would have gotten rebuilt at some point. But my guess is, if they were to bicker and argue about who got what part of the wall, 
a lot of people would have missed out on being a part of what God was doing. I, I fully believe that God is at work in our corner of the world here. We just have to find our role. So maybe for you, maybe for you the takeaway this week is asking God what that role might be. What, what, what is that role for you? Maybe it's stepping into a new place of leadership. Or in a place of leadership, leading in a, a new way. Delegating in some places, getting your hands dirty in others. And maybe for us as a church, the takeaway is, is learning to prioritize how we serve others. And how we give the opportunity to one another to serve. To use the gifts we've been given to serve God to move us forward as a congregation. Let's pray. Loving God, we ask that you would move in us, that you would stir our hearts, and Lord, that you would, would move through us as we work to, to give our community glimpses of your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen.